Hey, everyone, and welcome to At The Letters for June 20th, 2023. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you, Arden Zwelling in Miami, about to talk some Toronto Blue Jays with us. And this show this week is produced by Mike Rogerson and Nick Andrade. So thanks to both of them. Thanks to you for listening to us on ATL. Um, Arden, uh, four words you do not want to hear if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan or player. Now pitching, Ernie Clement. Yeah, that was uh, that was something on Monday. Eleven uh, nothing loss at the hands of uh, the Miami Marlins. That's a tough it, one. It really was. So okay, so that's coming on the heels of a tough series in Texas, which itself was coming on the heels of a tough series in Baltimore. It's not going great on this road trip for the Blue Jays. And as with any week, it, you hesitate to kind of draw too many conclusions from it but what can we take away from a road trip where things are not going well for this team things have been things flow listeners of the podcast will know where we're going to stand on this uh and the long view and the broader perspective that we like to take the one thing that really sticks out to me right now uh is that while the blue jays are not performing very well neither are the houston astros and neither are the New York Yankees. So the opportunity that's been missed over the last five, six, seven games, whatever the stretch is, is that the Blue Jays could have gained an advantage on those two clubs, which they are directly competing with for wildcard position. Uh, as we record this, the Astros have lost five straight. The Yankees have lost four straight. I mean, the Blue Jays, with just a, a couple more wins here, could have at least created the teeniest bit of separation just gained a couple games um, a little bit of an advantage on those clubs that they're going to be contending with for these wildcard spots down the stretch so to me that is the big opportunity that's been missed here so they've actually gained ground in the last four games with their lone win against the texas rangers i'm not trying to put a positive spin on this obviously they have not played well but i think you're right that is the opportunity that they have missed there's no question about that and when i look at this blue jays team i just think they're they're kind of fortunate that we are now playing in an era where you have three wildcard teams. Because if there was just one wildcard team, it would not be looking too good for the Blue Jays. Um, but as it stands, they're very, very much in the mix because you have that third way in within the American League playoff picture. Yeah, and it's the same thing as if you get the second wild card. Like, there's no difference between those two positions, really. And the Blue Jays have 88 games to play, and they're a game out of a playoff position. So they're going to be right around that second, third wild card spot, or a game or two back of either of of the third wild card spot, right through until late September. Like, I don't think that we're going to understand, we're not going to know, you know, where the Blue Jays have ended up. Like, we're not going to have any certainty on things until, like, literally that final two weeks where they're playing the Yankees and Rays exclusively. Like, the Blue Jays end their season with 12 games, six each against the Yankees and Rays. And that's what the season's honestly going to come down to, barring something like extreme, right? Look, a massive Kevin Gossman injury and Bo Bichette injury. I mean, that would be really different. Or the Blue Jays, like, once again, being the second half team of all second half teams, as we've seen them do in recent seasons. I don't know that you want to really rely on that and count on that being sticky across years. But yeah, barring some of those more extreme outcomes, like it's just kind of the same thing I say every week, man. I'm kind of, I'm tired of hearing it myself, honestly, of hearing myself say it, that uh, they're going to be right around second, third wildcard spot, a couple games out right down until the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah. And, and I think their schedule is incredibly difficult just by virtue of facing the, the Rays and the Yankees at the very end. And then you look at pockets like the one that they're beginning right now, and there's a second pocket sort of end of August, early September, where you're actually facing beatable teams. And this is a chance that you have to take advantage of when you're facing. And I'm including, we talked about this last week, I'm including Miami in this to go back to the Monday game. Like they had a bullpen game. You're facing the Miami Marlins and they have a bullpen game. And then you are the team that ends up getting shut out on their bullpen day. Not great not to dwell too much on one game, but you know, you have beyond Miami, you have Oakland coming up, you have Chicago, you have Detroit coming up before the All-Star break. The Red Sox are, you know, a good team, not a great team. They're mixed in there as well. So, you know, you, if you're the Blue Jays, you don't get a lot of chances like this in the course of your season. We've talked so much about how, you know, they start on the road and they've been playing these stretches where, you know, May was really difficult. All right, well, now's the time that you have things flip a little bit they really do need to start taking advantage of that. Yeah, and the Blue Jays are 18 and 7 against teams below 500 this year. So like that's a really good winning percentage and if they can extend that through this upcoming stretch that you were citing and then the one at the end of August when they get like uh you know Washington and they got the Cubs in there, they got the Rockies, they got they they go to Oakland in there. Yeah, they they can put themselves in better position but i don't know realistically i would expect them to probably play more like 580 to 600 ball through those stretches i i don't know that you want to count on them you know going like playing 800 ball against uh, against those teams because in this league like bad teams still win games yeah and, and even the bad teams aren't horrible you know like e- even oakland even oakland is probably better than we expected i you know you can never bank on a sweep you got to be looking for a sweep against Oakland this weekend um, if you're the Blue Jays. But hey, if you win two of three, if you if you win one of three, stranger things have happened, um, especially when you're dealing with a pitching staff that continues to just have four starters. I mean, that's the fact of the matter here. And they can make it to July 1st without needing another starting pitcher in that mix. But I, I guess like now that we're seeing it in action a bit more, what do you make of you know, the effect that it has on this team to roll with four starters, not only for the day that you have that uh, bullpen day, but then the trickle down effect beyond that one, that one turn of the rotation. Well, number one, just to put a bow on what we were just talking about, like I do want to acknowledge that coming into the season, I expected the Blue Jays to contend for an AL East title. And I would have come on here and said, like, this is a team good enough to win this division. And that's where the expectations should be. And that's what they're capable of. So I don't want to make it seem like we're moving the goalposts here, where all of a sudden we're saying, oh, they're this wild card team. And they were always that. No, coming into the season, I thought they could win a division title. I've adjusted my expectations since based on what i've seen over 72 games or however many that it's it's been right like so i've I've based on the information that we have accumulated over the last 12 weeks i have adjusted my expectations i think that it's like absolutely a disappointment for the fans for the organization for the players themselves that they're not contending for an ale's title and doing so over the second half seems incredibly realistic at this point but like when i say the blue jays just going to hang around that kind of edges periphery of the wild card race maybe a little bit in it uh that, that's just what i think is realistic at this point i've adjusted my expectations yeah and and i think like to me I think we should be moving the goalposts. Like, I think that's a good thing. They've played almost half a baseball season. So, you know, I, I would say, yeah, I've moved the goalposts. The goalposts used to be an American League East title. It used to be a first round bye. 
look, the, the reality of this record, the reality of this team right now is that that no longer seems to be like a realistic expectation. So you kind of have to go in the side door and then hope to win that wildcard series. And then boom, you're back to square one with whatever teams, Tampa and somebody else who ended up getting that that advantage. So you're going to have to play for that advantage in the course of one weekend as opposed to earning it in the course of 162. But yeah, I see nothing wrong with, they've played almost half a season. So I, I see nothing wrong with kind of adjusting what we expect out of this team. People will have uh, also been sick of hearing me say this for years and years is that like the MLB postseason is just a fun little tournament at the end of the year. And if you're hot at the right time, like you can win that tournament rather easily. Just get into the postseason, like get a spot in the dance and then get in with two really good starters. And then one guy that you feel good about, like taking two trips through the lineup, going five innings, five and diving, and then have like two really shut down relievers and a couple other guys that you like sort of trust and then just get your bats hot at the right time and hey you just won a world series <laughs> if you do those things it's easy to win that tournament you got to get in uh so you know it's better to get in like winning your division and having a first round bye because you just get to set things up a lot more optimally and and you get to rest everybody and kind of you know get, play the the percentages and get the matchups that you want and kind of get that 52 percent advantage rather than sitting on the 48 percent advantage but you know with the team with 48 percent odds still wins plenty of times so uh just get in as it pertains to the starting rotation yeah the blue jays have a four-man rotation and uh in my opinion a much more optimal structure for this roster would actually be a six-man rotation uh and we're not even anywhere near that right now so this really does show like just how um substantial the 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 underperformance of alec manoa has been for this team like they were counting on him getting close to 200 innings having a below league average era he wasn't giving them innings and he wasn't getting outs and they were forced to demote him to the minor leagues and they did not have a capable replacement like they did not have somebody in the upper minors who could step in and as i've said time and again not be a cy young caliber ace just be like league average even a little bit worse like just have a little bit above league average era and give me five innings and the blue jays would have been much better off having that but they didn't even have they didn't even have that so what we're seeing now is i'm regularly running bullpen days which like the pitching on those bullpen days has honestly like been okay the two times they've gone richard francis it's been fine um i think the the problem is that when you then run into a rocky outing from a kevin gosman a shaky one from a chris bassett which these guys are very good but they are gonna have tough outings is all good pitchers do well when those come on the heels of a bullpen day now all of a sudden you are like really burning out your pitching staff the blue jays as we sit here right now you look back to saturday which is a bullpen day by design sunday was became a bullpen day when bassett came out of his outing in the fourth inning and then monday jose barrios goes only four you are asking your relievers and in some cases position players to get the majority of your outs over those three games and that just puts you in a really tough spot where you're going to nate pearson on back-to-back days for only the third time in his career you're going back to mitch white a day after he threw over 30 pitches and you're putting him back on the mound which is like not something that you want to do from like a player welfare standpoint let alone a competitive standpoint but something that john schneider was compelled to do and forced to do because of the position that he's been put in with these really short starts like these are it it this all starts back at alec manoa not being what the blue jays expected him 
to be and the Blue Jays not having sufficient depth behind their rotation. Like that's the macro. And then the micro is some of the pitching decisions the Blue Jays are having to make in these games right now, which they are losing. Yeah. And day to day, I mean, you think about Monday and I was just waiting for the announcement. I I wasn't sure who it was going to be, but I was waiting for the announcement because I thought, what do they do if they need to cover two innings? Like you only had two rested relievers. You had Swanson and Romano. What if they're down three in the fifth inning and they need someone? And so, boom, here comes Trent Thornton, which, you know, okay, that's fine for the moment. Um, But there is... It also, when you start doing this churn, you start optioning guys and then they can't be recalled in the next 10 days unless there's an injury. So, you know, at that point, you lose some of your flexibility. You start having to make moves and make pitching decisions according to what that clock looks like, as opposed to just using your best guys, um, because there is so much of that churn. So, you know, again, going into Tuesday's game, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. I kind of think they need another arm, you know, because they churned through so many arms on Monday night against the Marlins. So, you know, what happens if you're in the fourth or fifth inning and you need someone, you're not going to Mitch White for a third day in a row and Adam Simber hasn't been very good. So I sort of look at Mitch White and Adam Simber and I'm kind of like, is there another shoe to drop here as a way to get somebody on? Um, I don't know. I'm speculating when I say that, but I just think one way or another, they need another arm. So even from the standpoint of like shuttling guys, you know, across the country and, you know, AAA up to the majors and taxi squad, it's, you know, it's just not ideal. And the results aren't good either. Well, and you're starting Yusei Kikuchi on Tuesday as well, who is like effectively wild at the best of times and a guy who you have not trusted to go very far into a second trip through the order. Like the Blue Jays, we have regularly seen them lift Yusei Kikuchi after five innings when he's on like 82, 83 pitches. He could definitely go back out there, but the Blue Jays, like once they get two trips through with him and get through five innings, they're like, yep, that's like, that's good enough. We don't really you know, trust it a third time through. If Yusei Kikuchi is anything close to pitch efficient on Tuesday night, people are probably going to be listening to this on Wednesday, so they'll already know what happens. In the existence I'm in right now, I have no idea what's going to happen. But if he's anything close to pitch efficient Tuesday night, I think the Blue Jays have to extend him beyond their comfort zone because of the bind that you suggested that they're in. And then there's the other 40-man concerns as well. You get into a point where it's like, well, I don't know, do we have to put like Mitch White on the IL just to get Bowden Francis back up here because like to tell you if he's at the airport don't get on the don't get on the plane (laughs) stay in the lounge buddy we're sending a car right like back to the ballpark you go because um you got 40 man constraints as well alec manoa is still taking a 40 man spot like he's not on the 60 day il like he's active in the minors technically he's just not starting in games so like he's taking up that spot that's you don't get that flexibility um Yosfer Zulueta has is no longer stretched out he's a reliever now and he hasn't thrown a pitch in the major leagues who else is even on this 40-man roster Hagen Danner hasn't thrown a pitch in the major leagues just got to AAA Thomas Hatch is around but he was just optioned right and then there's Jay Jackson, who, like, at times I've been like, Jay Jackson would be a better fit for this bullpen right now than some guys who are in this bullpen uh, on a, like, permanent basis. Uh, thinking of Anthony Bass in particular. He's an option as well. But, like, if you want to get, like, a length guy back up here, if you want a Hatch or a Francis, you kind of have to put somebody on the IL at this point because those guys were just options so recently. Maybe it's a good time to just ask around and see how guys are doing physically. 
who knows where it leads. Okay, so we've certainly identified the problem with respect to the Blue Jays. They do not have enough starting pitching. <laughs> um, let's talk about some potential solutions when we come back here uh, because they are, as you said, they're st- still in this one game out um, very much within their grasp. Uh, so they'll be brainstorming solutions and we will too when we continue here on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back to At The Letters, and uh, as promised, let's discuss some uh, possible ways around this bind, starting with the guy who's demotion to the miners uh, started this situation in the first place. Arden, uh, what's your read on how close Alec Manoa is to potentially returning to this team? So he threw a side yesterday, and then his next sim game, I believe, is scheduled for Wednesday off the top of my head. Uh, and in his most recent one, he went 75 pitches over five. So I think the Blue Jays are going to want to get him like stretched out beyond that certainly and try to get him up like closer to you know the 90 pitch range and see how that goes and then i really do think it is very much like on a sim game to sim game basis as far as like how he's looking where the velocity is how the strength holds up over the course of an outing how he repeats his delivery release points how the stuff is behaving if he's spraying it if he's in the zone etc um once they see some of those positive indicators and things they're looking to see they'll get him into a minor league game but like it's look once you get him into a minor league game like that snowball's going down the hill now right because now like you've indicated to him hey you're getting closer right and like how how many you know Alec Manoa outings against like high A hitters do we really need to see uh you're now showing us how he's looking and showing the baseball world how he's looking so we're assessing the pitch chart and if it's in a place with track man we're assessing the velocity and the movement and stuff like that and just kind of seeing where he's at so like the Blue Jays have to be very purposeful about when they reintroduce him to minor league action but like goes without saying they could really use a healthy and effective Alec Manoa in this rotation right now and they don't have it so there's 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 a push-pull here of doing what's best for Alec Manoa doing what's best for this team trying to put him in a position where he gets back to the majors and doesn't leave again and just resumes where his career was prior to this season um and it's it's gonna be you know interesting just to see how the Blue Jays make those decisions I mean, for sure, you got to get him into some games against hitters, like live actual games, not just sim games, I would think, before he comes back. Um, And I don't know what that number is, but, uh, you know, I would think it's more than one of those minor league starts uh, before he comes back. That's just me speculating. In the meantime, I think you make a good point that he probably does benefit from just not having to be under the watchful eye of fans and media and you know, like you said, track man, like I would be very curious to see and I would I would find a way to see what that track man info said, <laughs> you know, if he was making a minor league start. I'm sure you would, too. You know, you'd want to know what his velo is. Um, you'd want to know how many strikes he's throwing, all those sorts of things. So in the meantime, he can kind of recover and build up without that kind of pressure, which is, I would think, a good thing. As for timelines, like I'm not anticipating him back in the next couple weeks could he make a start before the all-star break i could see it but i also wouldn't be surprised if it's after the all-star break the absolute earliest would be early july 
and it would be what you would need is for the sim game on Wednesday to go like really, really well. And then he would probably make a minor league start on like Tuesday, June 27th, because there's no minor league games on Mondays. So probably make a minor league start there. And then if that was like exceptional and he blew the doors off and you saw enough there that you're like, yep, he's ready to go and we really need innings in the majors. Sure. Early July, like bring him back up. But that would be an extremely rushed times on a timeline that would be extremely aggressive extremely optimistic for that to happen um i i am not expecting <laughs> that to happen like you said I, I imagine it'll take multiple minor league starts for sure now he's down there with hyunjin ryu um his his pal and ryu is also uh rehabbing also working his way back from tommy john surgery which occurred basically a year ago exactly um similar very very similar timeline to chad green and Ryu now, uh, my understanding at least, is that he's throwing kind of multiple inning bullpen sessions and some live BP mixed in. So getting to the point that, you know, if this was spring training, maybe it's February the 15th, something like that. So I would guess he's still at least a month away. I would be very surprised if he is ready for the major leagues before the beginning of August. But Interested to hear your read on that because Ryu, of course, is is a guy who's been a Cy Young finalist before. No one's expecting that from him again. But if he could make a handful of starts for the Jays down the stretch, that would definitely help them. Yeah, I think that that early August timeline is realistic. I know he's had the all-star break in mind for some time now, but uh, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting up to it. And the next thing for him, I believe he's got a two-up bullpen coming up later this week. I forget what day it is exactly. So a two-up bullpen basically means like he he throws one, what is essentially like a simulated inning almost, like he throws a bullpen against some hitters, however he pitches gonna, he's going to throw. Then he goes and sits down. And they kind of simulate what it would be like to be like in between innings. Well, the offense is up and he goes, he sits down for, you know, five, 10 minutes, whatever it is. And then he goes back on the mound and throws again. So it's like a way of sort of simulating two, two innings, although it's not technically a simulated game. Uh, so that's like, that's still pretty early in the process, particularly when you're talking about a starter coming back. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really considering Hunjin Ryu as, as an option anytime soon. I think Chad Green is closer. And I think that like all-star break might actually be closer to realistic when it comes to chad green shortly after the all-star break it'll depend on you know how he recovers between um bullpens between minor league outings if he gets out on a rehab assignment like with tj you just never know man setbacks happen like guys are throwing baseballs competitively again for the first time in a year so like there you know there is a curve there and and there are you know unexpected things that can arise so when it's tj rehabilitation you never want to say he'll be back at this time but i i think green is is closer certainly than ryu and if all goes well could be a factor um a month from now yeah it wouldn't be surprising to me if before you know around that july 31st august first range right around the trade deadline that he's back i really wouldn't be surprised and that would be big for for this team of course Anything else on those two? Anything else on pitching reinforcements? I mean, I don't see a lot else beyond those guys when it comes to possible solutions other than the obvious, you know, the bullpen games, the Bowden Francis, the Trevor Richards. Am I missing something there? Is anything else you want to add there with respect to solutions for pitching on this team? No, the only thing is I think at some point, if 
um, personnel is there, which right now is like an enormous if, and right now it's not there. Uh, I could see the Blue Jays going to a six-man rotation at some point over the second half of the season, but they would need like a healthy and effective Alec Manoa, and they would need a healthy and effective Hunjin Ryu, or they would need to go outside the organization to trade for somebody, because I'm not seeing anyone else internally that makes sense. And in a six-man rotation, you definitely can't go bullpen day as one of the six. But I do think that at some point, that is something the Blue Jays could consider, should consider. And it would make a lot of sense for guys like Gossman, guys like Bassett, even a Barrios, like just guys who have benefited from having that extra day. Um, I think it would be more optimal for the Blue Jays. But right now, the, the issue is they don't have the personnel to do it. Definitely start with five, build your way up to there. You know, we'll see if they could. But I mean, it would benefit a guy like a Kevin Gossman. Um, you look at the numbers, it's pretty clear that his numbers are are a lot better when he does throw with that extra day of rest. And then you think Barrios and, and Bassett would benefit as well from that? Yeah, I think the numbers of Bassett are pretty stark as well. And like he's also a, a veteran guy who's uh, you know well into his 30s. And then Barrios is just a guy who's like logged a lot of innings in his career. So I, I think it would help all three of them. We still have the possibility of deals, and I do want to discuss that in a little bit more depth. So when we return, we will touch on the possibility of trades and what that might look like for the Jays coming up on At The Letters. All right, welcome back to At The Letters. And I mean, we're only six weeks away, not that far away from the trade deadline, which is a huge focal point every year uh, for contenders and for non-contenders alike. A big point in the calendar for fans, for GMs, for players. And, you know, for the Blue Jays, I think we've had a, a pretty solid understanding of what it is that they'll try to do in the course of the last few weeks. And yet... You know, you hear this, and this isn't a total straw man argument because, you know, you'll hear it on Jay's talk. You'll hear it on Twitter. What about the possibility that the Blue Jays should sell if they continue to disappoint? And Arden, I would like us to swat that aside here. I don't see it as a particularly likely possibility. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. I have a sense of where you're going to go here, but you're looking at a team that's disappointed. You're looking at a team that is not playing at its full potential. What are the circumstances under which that would even be considered? I mean, not four games above 500 in a game out of the postseason. <laughs> yeah. Like if the Blue Jays sell, then don't the Yankees have to sell? And don't the Astros have to sell? And don't the Dodgers have to sell? And the Phillies and the Brewers and the Giants? Like these are all teams with 38 to 40 wins, which is where the Blue Jays are. So then all those teams would have to sell. And I don't hear a lot of conjecture about that and i think that's where it's worth kind of zooming out and just seeing like look it's possible to be a disappointing team it's possible to play well below your potential and have a four-man rotation and have some important players injured and still be in a position where you can win having a disappointment season is not an occasion to just blow it up and and sell and i think the standings tell the story here if you're one game out you should buy If you're one game out, you should be adding, you should be sacrificing from your future, not the whole future, but you should sacrifice from your future to some extent in order to upgrade in the present moment. Because like you said earlier in the podcast, you never know what can happen. And so 
the Blue Jays, as things stand right now, should absolutely be in buy mode. They should be looking to bolster this roster with a starting pitcher or two, with another bat for their bench. That's pretty obvious. And then if they start playing way better, if they start somehow challenging the Rays for the division title, which you know obviously seems very unlikely, but if that were to happen, then that's uh, reason enough to start giving up more from your future and to start really pushing more chips in because you know you in that scenario if you're a team with a shot at a first round buy you you want to take advantage of that and conversely you know it, it's obvious if the blue jays lose 12 in a row and they're somehow way below 500 then you can talk about selling but for all of the struggles that they've had this year they've never dipped well below 500 i mean they've always been in that mix really the entire season it would take something that um, impacted their internal win expectancy, win projection to an extreme degree. So like you said, 12-game losing streak, season-ending injuries to Boba Shett and Kevin Gosman, like those type of things that would like dramatically impact their expectations internally. But look, they, the Blue Jays showed us in 2021 how they approach a deadline that looks like the one that we're approaching now, right? In 2021, they were like three or four games above 500. They'd underperformed to that point. Internally, they felt like they were better than than they were going to be. So then they were to that point. So what did they do? They went out and traded for Jose Barrios. And they went out and looked for bullpen arms, uh, traded for Brad Hand and Joaquin Soria. And like obviously, those things didn't go so well, but understand what the intent was behind those moves. So I bet you this deadline looks pretty similar we've been saying it for weeks they're gonna go out and look for some sort of controllable piece like that's impactful and that you know is there gonna be a part of the roster not just for the final two months of the season but for 2024 as well and perhaps even 2025 uh they're gonna try to you know just continue refreshing the roster going forward and remaining competitive in the years that they have Bo Bichette and Vladimir Carrero Jr. pre-free agency and the years that they have George Springer and Kevin Gosman and Chris Bass it making a whole bunch of money on their deals like they're going to look for that kind of controllable piece going forward i don't know that you're going to see them pay a really high price for a strict rental i think i would actually be really surprised if you saw something like that but look at what they did in 2021 that is probably what they're going to look to execute now we have seen before how this front office uh approaches a situation like the one they're in today yeah and and any of these front offices right like if the yankees lose 12 in a row if the phillies lose 12 in a row you know, if if the Dodgers do any one of these teams, well, yeah, they're going to play the hand that's in front of them. I mean, at a certain point, if you're way out of it, if your playoff odds are like 1%, yeah, you're going to look at what your, who your pending free agents are. You're going to listen to offers. If an offer is good enough, you're going to trade them. I mean, that's just the way Major League GMs operate. It's a very reasonable way to to proceed for the most part. And so none of those teams, whether it's the Astros or the Dodgers or the Yankees, all of them are disappointed with the way their season has gone, um, I would say. And all of them have to be open to that remote possibility that they lose 12 in a row and it all collapses. But I think far more likely is that most of these teams, all of these teams, including the Blue Jays, are buying. And how aggressive you are can depend on a lot of things, including you know where your roster is moving forward, where your farm system is, how much payroll you have to work with. But what we've seen from the Blue Jays is, you know, they may not have a deep farm system. They don't have a good farm system right now. It's not deep, but they can take on money. We've seen that. 
And that can be pretty helpful as you try to negotiate trades. And, you know, the Whit Merrifield trade is kind of the perfect example of what you'd want to do moving forward. So maybe they can find something like that. I, I think one way or another, by the time you get to late July, it'll be pretty clear what they can do. And I think it's going to mean that they're a team that's buying. By the way, if the Jays are going to sell, uh, the Padres should already be selling because they're actually under 500. So. And the Mets, right? It should <laughs> yeah. be a fire sale in, in Queens. <laughs> and the Mets as well. So that's part of it too. Part of it is you're waiting for the market to crystallize, right? And you're waiting to see like what teams like Cleveland are going to do or what teams like Seattle, Boston are going to do, right? Like you're, you're kind of waiting for the uh, the actual sellers to be just there to be a bit more definitiveness and who those clubs are. And then obviously those clubs are just going to wait until the deadline and try to build pressure against the teams they're looking to buy and try to get a sense of the market in the opposite direction. Like the similarity in the way that front offices think and operate is kind of why everything at the trade deadline comes down to the 11th hour, right? Because everybody's just trying to run out the clock and put pressure on the other side. So don't expect anything anytime soon for the Blue Jays. Certainly don't see a lot of meaningful, impactful trades being made across MLB uh, at this time of year and there's a reason for that uh, as I just cited and also by the way like the draft coming up in a nearer timeline than, than the trade deadline is and there's a lot of resources and time being put towards that within front offices I was talking to somebody the the combine is going on like right now uh, I think it's in Arizona um, and so the Jays have a bunch of front office personnel there looking at players and, and some of the testing and stuff that's that's going on there so like this time last year like the Blue Jays would have been sitting down with Brandon Barriera for like a personal you know in-house meeting or whatever right and like calling around to all of his uh you know former whatever high school coaches and people that he came up with playing travel ball and elite programs and stuff like that they would have really been like building out you know their understanding of him and getting to know him and just get an understanding of what it was going to take to make him a part of uh, the, the blue jays organization so that's like a lot of the work that's, that's going on in front offices right now with trade deadline preparation still occurring but on the back burner to the front burner that is the uh, the upcoming draft yeah the draft is a, a big deal of course you have to meet with those uh young prospects and their advisors not agents that's the right advisors that's the um, that's the term they, yep they may be other players agents but they're just the advisors <laughs> of the uh of the <laughs> amateur players um who definitely definitely don't have pro representation i think the priority for the teams like the blue jays and the phillies and the padres i mean the priority is always the major league team like you you have to win you have to do everything you can and these front offices are fully capable of operating on two fronts and you can you can have the draft and you can have your you know Shane Farrell leading your amateur scouting and Tony LaCava seeing your your top draft you know prospects and maybe some other front office folks seeing that maybe one or two that you're really zoning in on for that top pick that's all possible and you can still you know prepare for the trade deadline still operate on player development fronts they can do those multiple things in the same way that, you know, you can do a podcast and write out game story later on the same day. I think that if there was a deal that really made sense for the Blue Jays, they would be on it. And I think that they would not hesitate to make a deal that made sense. But the fact that they haven't made a deal tells me that the prices are pretty high for what is a very, very obvious need uh, in the starting pitching department. Yeah, I just don't think anything like that 
is imminent if there was you know it comes down to what are your opportunities and i can't imagine the blue jays have a lot of opportunities on the what even constitutes a trade market right now that might even be a little bit uh like extreme to call it <laughs> a trade market like the kind of trades like the blue jays have been talking about over the last few weeks was like trying to trade anthony bass you know which like by the way the blue jays came very close to doing before he uh came out and said the things that he said and then all of a sudden uh the teams that were you know talking to blue jays about trade kind of backed off of that a little bit perhaps sensing that anthony bass just put the blue jays in a really difficult position but you know the blue jays did come close to a trade there but again that would be a trade that is like hey let's get out of anthony bass's money (laughs) for a player to be named later it's not hey here's a trade for like a controllable starting pitcher or uh power hitting right-handed outfielder who's uh you know going to be in our lineup every day like that's not the level of trade talk that's going on right now it's the very fringe marginal stuff i would put it at and tell me if you disagree here i would put it at like two percent chance that the blue jays end up selling two to two to four percent chance as we stand here right now it would be yeah i guess i would allow a percentage point or two for like some sort of insane run of injuries like i suppose but it's just not it's just not realistic no and, and nobody serious is saying that the blue jays are going to sell no like, we spent way too much time on it honestly this is beneath <laughs> us we should like this shouldn't have even been raised on the podcast we're better than this i think it's a useful exercise to at least um explore how these things are uh thought out within the front office but let's get to spencer horowitz he debuted over the weekend in texas and he's been on base a fair bit so that's a positive for the jays obviously brandon belt now injured i kind of remain a little bit intrigued for sure but also hesitant to jump too far in on spencer horowitz just knowing that this is a guy who hit two home runs in the course of his entire minor league season yeah, it's interesting. He's done a lot of work to increase his exit velos during his uh, minor league time because obviously, like, you want to see some more power from him. And he made a little adjustment in his setup. Like, if you if you watch him hit, like, he has he does have a very unique setup at the plate. Didn't always look like that. Like, he used to have kind of a waggle in his bat, and his hands would get kind of far away from his body. And now he does this like very steady like bat tip sort of thing almost his hands are kind of tilted forward but that's just something that just like it's a cue that lets him keep his hands close to his body which is the biggest thing because when he does that it's a much more like direct compact path to the ball his swing kind of stays on plane in the zone longer and lo and behold he gets higher exit velos out of it like that's something that like increases exit velos from like kind of the mid 100s to like kind of the the high like i'm talking 100 to 110 like from the 105 range to like the 108 range you know it it gave him some more juice right so there's that development is like still occurring um this is a guy who's swing the blue jays really liked when he was at radford and they got him in like the 24th round and i know there are people in the player development group um the amateur scouting group who were like hey we can we can help this guy get better like we see some potential in this guy's swing we think he's got a good chance to hit and so the blue jays went out and, and drafted him in the 24th round and hey it looks like some of those pd folks and some of those amateur scouting folks were right because like all he's done is hit at every level through two games that includes the big leagues it's like it's a good story for you know folks in the organization who are working to develop and get players better is spencer horowitz going to take the blue jays to the world series probably not but i you know I'm, I'm not so jaded as to you know deny that like this is a really cool story and it's kind of nice to see him come into the big leagues and 
you know, work long plate appearances and work walks and like look composed, not look rattled, have a lot of metal, really do the same things that he's been doing throughout the minor leagues. Like you talk to people about him and it's like, this guy doesn't take a plate appearance off. Like this guy doesn't ever give one away. doesn't get himself out. Uh, he like does his preparation. He's ready. He knows what he's going to be thrown. He knows what he's looking for. He's very disciplined, very selective. He really is very smart and has a really good plan at the plate so it, it's been cool to see some of those things that we've been seeing from him in the minor leagues over years now turn up at, at the big league level i'm really happy for yeah it's a cool story for sure um they need the offense um from anywhere they can get it at this point uh with brandon belt down with alejandro kirk also down that opens up a lot of dh at bats on this team and i think you know horowitz was not the best hitter at triple a but he was on the 40-man roster and I do wonder, like, looking at David Schneider and what he's been able to do, and speaking of late-round picks, I mean, David Schneider, this is a guy who was drafted in the 28th round in 2017, basically a non-prospect going into the season, wasn't in big league camp except for the occasional, you know, we need to fill in a gap here type game, and then David Schneider's gone out and at last count, 14 home runs, he's he's hitting great, um, showing a, a lot of power I wonder, you know, if neither one of these guys had been on the 40 man, I really wonder who would have gotten the call. And I, I tend to think it might have been Schneider. Horowitz is on the 40 man. He's up. It's a great story, as you said. And so, you know, we'll see what he can do with it. But if there's another opening, I, I tend to wonder what David Schneider could do, especially as you start looking medium term on this team. Matt Chapman's a free agent after this year. You know, they're going to need more infielders. And ideally, you have some guys come up from within the organization and show that they can do some things. Because I'm not sure that Santiago Espinal or Kevin Biggio is the guy that's going to replace Chapman on an everyday basis. And so I think you do want to start exploring some of these some of these fits and what they can look like, even medium term. Yeah, and credit to Schneider for really taking advantage of what I'm sure is increased playing time and increased opportunity with Addison Barger being hurt i mean that is the guy who in this spot that you are identifying as a need next year which is totally correct to identify in pretty weak free agent class by the way upcoming um blue jays had hoped like addison barger was going to show up this year carry over what he did last season then really break out and continue to you know just do some of the things that he was doing unfortunately he has been hurt and unavailable and you know i guess there's you know there's a little it's a little mysterious what's going on with like the the ligament in his elbow and whether he's going to need a procedure after the season or not um you don't want to speculate there but i don't know that he's necessarily out of the woods of this thing we'll see how he looks when he when he kind of gets back to triple a and kind of gets some consistent playing time and how things go for him like the tools are off the charts you want to talk about exit velocity uh you want to talk about like arm strength from the left side of the infield uh you know this is a guy who makes very big movements at the plate and uh creates uh quite a bit of elo when when he makes when he impacts the ball really aggressive approach um and like the the biggest arm on the infield in the blue jays system so uh you know that's really the guy who it's going to be interesting to see over the back half of the season but with him out yeah david schneider has stepped up and spencer horowitz has gotten his big league opportunity uh it's cool to see yeah it, it definitely is and there's there's always room for guys who can hit big league pitching hitting triple a pitching does not mean you can hit big league pitching but it's a sign that you're at least deserving of the chance to figure that out interesting to see what horowitz can do in the meantime, you know, as I mentioned before, Alejandro Kirk being injured does open some things up, not only for Horwitz, 
but also for Danny Jansen. I mean, they're going to need a lot from Danny Jansen in this stretch. You never want to see a player go down. Um, it's never convenient to have a catcher go down. Um, puts pressure on the rest of your roster and especially, of course, on the other catchers. But I don't know if there's ever a time that you're going to have Danny Jansen in there a lot. This is probably it, just given that, A, he missed two and a half weeks already. So from that standpoint, he hasn't been overused in the course of the last month. And B, his bat looks great. He's really tapping into that pull power on fastballs. And that's a great sign for a Jays offense that needs all the home runs it can get. Yeah, the customary Danny Jansen off a rehab assignment hot streak, uh, which is uh, the Blue Jays will will sign up for. They'd love to get it without having him on the IL in the rehab assignment. Uh, that's neither here nor there. With Kirk, like if Alger Kirk played a different position, I don't think he goes to the IL. I think the Blue Jays just try to kind of sneak forward with like him being unavailable for a few days because like he, he doesn't have uh, a fracture. The problem is he's he had a laceration from that uh, 96 mile an hour fastball from John Gray that he took and he got a couple stitches in there. And the thing about stitches is it takes a couple days to heal, right? So it's really only going to take like whatever it is, three, four days for just inflammation, swelling, soreness to go down, the stitches to to kind of take and heal and Kirk to get back to a point where he's like swinging a bat uh, competently. But the thing is he plays the catcher position and the Blue Jays are in a series right now in Miami where they got two night games and then a 12, 10 p.m. start on Wednesday. Like Tuesday to Wednesday is essentially just a double header in a way. Like Blue Jays are going to play two games in like 20 hours. So they didn't really want to go with one catcher on the roster at that point or recalling Tyler Heineman for like an Ernie Clement and then having you know two roster spots tied up by it. They're like, all right, we'll just IL Kirk, but it should be the minimum. Like it should really just be the 10 days and then Kirk will be back. So that's really positive. Brandon Belt, I was talking to him. He was running in Texas on Sunday. Said he still feels the hamstring like a little bit. Feels like he's like getting very close to returning. He's eligible to come off on Wednesday. Don't expect that to happen. I expect that he'll likely come off uh, the IL on the homestand when the Blue Jays get back from the road uh, in the upcoming weekend. But don't expect him to go out on a rehab assignment. I think Brandon Belt has passed the rehab assignment stage of his career. He'll come back soon and and hopefully pick up where he left off before. But you're right. You know, going forward, there are DH. Played appearances open for a Spencer Horowitz, and uh, you know you hope he makes most of them. Catching playing times open for Danny Jansen, who's obviously hot right now. You have to be mindful of his playing time as well with the groin injury that he recently had, without you know putting too much wear and tear on a guy who just came off of the IL. Tyler Hardeman's gonna catch Yusei Kikuchi or gonna catch Kevin Gosman. The Blue Jays like how he matches up with those two guys. They're back to back in the rotation right now. It's a little bit tough, but um, the Blue Jays like the way that he's caught those guys, and I. Like the way that Tyler Heineman like finds a way to do something productive every time you see him at the plate, whether he's laying down a bunt, whether he's working a long plate appearance, he's not going to hit a bunch of homers. He's not going to you know drive the ball off the wall. He's probably not going to be Luis Arise and get a single every time he's at the plate. But he does find a way to do something productive and to contribute in a good way to an offense when he's up there, and then obviously extremely capable behind the plate as well. So he's been a nice piece for this club. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You think about like Kevin Kiermeyer and how he talks about wanting to be the best nine hitter in baseball. And it's like, well, yeah, you'd be a good like leadoff hitter on a lot of teams, like the way he's playing this year. Like, it's, we can't really compare him to nine hitters. Tyler Heineman truly is more that mold of like, you're not a good hitter, but you're a good nine hitter, where it's like, you don't do things very well, but you also do something little. Like, there's just like a little bit of contact, or I'm sure some of it's Babbitt, but 
I too have been kind of impressed by like, like you said, like the little bunts and the little just like getting something done. So that's something. And as for Brandon Belt, I cannot see any hitter less likely to go on a rehab <laughs> assignment after 10 days. I would have been when you were like, yeah, I, I'm like, there is no chance that a 10 like that is just we saw this guy in spring training, even spring training. He's basically like, yeah, get me in for, I don't know, four games and I'm good. And it's like the 35 years old. Yeah, he's not going on a rehab. No, I think he'd be OK with me sharing this. He was like, yeah. And, you know, the first few uh, weeks of the season felt like a rehab assignment the way I was playing anyway. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not going out in rehab. Yeah can be uh, quite self-deprecating. And he's been very productive at the plate. Okay, well, let's leave it there. Uh, Arden, we know you got a game to cover here and then another one a few short hours after that. So won't hold you up any longer. Thanks for your time uh, this week on ATL. Thanks as well to all our listeners who continue to find At The Letters wherever you find your podcasts and also on YouTube. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. And thanks as well to our producers, Mike Rogerson and Nick Andrade.